When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. For historical context, today is the 26th of April of 2022. The article I'm going to be discussing today was recently published, and it is the Clinical Practice Guidelines by the European Respiratory Society with regards to the utilization of high flow nasal cannula in patients with acute respiratory failure. These guidelines were published very recently. Check them out in the show notes where you can download the article for yourself. As always, don't trust me as this is not medical advice. The reason why I recommend you read these guidelines or at least, you know, follow along with this podcast is because this task force, which number of members from the European Respiratory Society came together and they looked over a ton of data to make eight conditional recommendations with regards to the use of nasal high flow or high flow nasal cannula, whatever you call it. I mean, there are about 18 different names for it. Basically, it's one of these devices that provide up to 60 liters of flow and up to 100% FiO2. I'm not going to go through all the benefits as to how this works from a physiologic perspective, but we're going to dedicate this podcast just to see what these conditional recommendations are for our patients with hypoxemic respiratory failure. The first recommendation is with regards to using either nasal high flow or conventional oxygen therapy in patients with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure. Now, the first thing many people ask me when I talk about conventional oxygen therapy is what devices do they mean? And this includes nasal prongs, face masks such as uh, Venturi masks, or non-rebreather. These are usually the ones that are considered conventional oxygen therapy. Now, the reason why this group came to the conclusion that the recommendation is to use nasal high flow over conventional oxygen therapy is after looking at a number of randomized controlled trials comparing the the two you know, they found that patients did better overall when they were using the high-flow nasal cannula device. The main rationale that they used was that it reduces the incidence of intubation in our patients with respiratory failure. So bottom line, if you have a patient who has an elevated oxygen requirement but is not saturating well and the the two tools in your toolbox are either nasal high-flow or conventional oxygen therapy, the answer here should be high-flow nasal cannula. So now that we know that their first recommendation is to use high-flow nasal cannula over conventional oxygen therapy, what about those patients who you need to compare using either nasal high-flow or non-invasive ventilation? In other words, those patients with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure, uh, taking into account, for example, patients with pneumonia, ARDS, etc., what are the recommendations here? And in this particular question, for this particular question, excuse me, The suggestion is to use high-flow nasal cannula over non-invasive ventilation in these patients. So if you're thinking about putting these patients on either CPAP or BiPAP or BPAP to, you know, not give any train names, and BPAP is what Haney Malmet, who's a great guy, you should definitely check out his work, he calls it BPAP. In this case, using high-flow nasal cannula is going to be superior to using non-invasive ventilation. Amongst the evidence summary that is presented by the authors of these guidelines. One of the studies is the Florali trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2015. And um, that study basically showed that in patients with PF ratios less than 200, 
there was a benefit on a number of different endpoints of using nasal high flow over non-invasive ventilation. Now, the one thing I will say is that if your patient does need non-invasive ventilation, please be mindful of the tidal volumes that are being provided to the patient. This could cause barotrauma and volutrauma. If, you know, a patient is an ARDS and you're giving them tidal volumes that are in excess of four to six cc's per kilogram of ideal body weight. Here's the third recommendation. And this is with regards to using either high flow nasal cannula or conventional oxygen therapy in patients who are already on non-invasive ventilation, right? Let's just say that you're using non-invasive ventilation as a last ditch strategy and the patient needs a break from it to be able to eat, let's say. Here, the recommendation is that you should use high flow nasal cannula over conventional oxygen therapy during these breaks. You know, this is kind of like a no-brainer. If you understand the physiologic mechanism of how nasal high flow works by providing these patients with increases in airway pressure and hypothetical increases in PEEP, you don't want to de-recruit the alveoli of these patients who, you know, you're giving this positive pressure to by using non-invasive ventilation. You don't necessarily want to pull the rug from underneath their feet and let them basically crash when you switch them, for example, from non-invasive ventilation over to, let's say, a venting mask or so. Instead, you would just want to switch them over to the nasal high flow so that they would have at least some sort of positive pressure because, you know, it's it'll be a lie to say that nasal high flow provides the same amount of positive pressure as, for example, non-invasive does. But, you know, at least you're going to be providing your patients with something to help them and help them in their respiratory status. Testing, testing. Now, the next two recommendations have to do with the utilization of high flow nasal cannula in postoperative patients. The reason why this is important is because a significant amount of patients go on to develop postoperative pulmonary complications after their surgery. And these things, unfortunately, increase patient morbidity, mortality, and increase their length of stay, as stated by the authors here. So their fourth recommendation is an answer to the question of whether should patients be placed on high-flow nasal cannula or conventional oxygen therapy in the postoperative you know, in the post-operative period after extubation. And one would have to think that these are low risk of pulmonary complications. And here, they suggest either the use of conventional oxygen therapy or high-flow nasal cannula. They don't suggest one over the other. Turns out that the evidence behind this is a little bit on the weak side. And in my practice, um, you know, I don't, generally speaking, use nasal high-flow immediately in the post-op period um, for patients who come out of surgery kind of stable. But if I'm doing a dicey extubation on these patients, I might need some backup. I might need some assistance with some positive pressure. I'll go ahead and pull the trigger, you know, especially if I'm worried about them splinting and developing atelectasis and their work of breathing, etc. Then I'm going to be a little bit more, how could I say, I'm going to be a little bit more, um, willing to go ahead and pull the trigger and just put them on nasal high flow. The fifth recommendation is about using high flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation in the postoperative period for patients who are of high risk of pulmonary and respiratory complications. And here the data is quite limited, but it's not enough to say whether you should use nasal high flow or non-invasive ventilation. So again, if your patient's high risk of pulmonary complications and you need to get them off the ventilator, dealer's choice, either high flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation. 
the question here always is at least in my at least in my opinion is if you were the patient or your family's patient would you rather have an a cannula or a full face mask i think that answer is a little bit easier to come up with than you know what this data suggests the sixth recommendation is about extubation failure basically you have a patient they're doing pretty well on pressure support you're ready to pull a tube but let's say for example they're they are at low or moderate risk of extubation failure and here the comparison between high flow nasal cannula and conventional oxygen therapy with the group ended up recommending is the utilization of hypronasal cannula over conventional oxygen therapy. Now these aren't the people who you kind of do a pull and pray on as those of us in the business kind of joke around about but these are patients again who have a low to moderate risk of extubation failure. But what about and this is this is recommendation number seven how about the patients who are high risk of extubation failure? Should you use in these patients, high flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation. And here, the group actually recommends the utilization of non-invasive ventilation over high flow nasal cannula for the extubation of patients at high risk of extubation failure. In other words, to give you a good safety net. In my practice, I basically choose my method of having a backup plan, basically, so I don't have to go ahead and reintubate the patient based on, for example, what they were what they were intubated for in the first place, how strong they are, etc. Some folks, I might just let them slide and let them go on to high flow nasal cannula, but other patients kind of need to have the non-invasive ventilation at the bedside. This is particularly useful, for example, and I know that this is for uh, non-surgical patients that I just mentioned it for, but as an example, patients who have obstructive sleep apnea and they just had a cabbage performed and I want to extubate them within the six hours, but they're kind of marginal, I'll just go ahead and extubate those patients to non-invasive ventilation as they seem to do quite well with it. Now last but definitely not least is a question with regards to the utilization of high flow nasal cannula in patients with hypercapnic respiratory failure, which is something that a lot of people here probably are not too familiar with. So the question is, should high flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation be used in patients with acute hypercapnic respiratory failure? And so, again, this is not something that has very robust data for the utilization of high flow nasal cannula in this. Therefore, this, leaded the, this led the group, lead it, I can't even speak English today, pardon me. The group suggests using a trial of non-invasive ventilation prior to the use of high flow nasal cannula in patients with COPD and acute hypercapnic respiratory failure. The thing to keep in mind here is that in the five randomized control trials where they've compared high flow nasal cannula to non-invasive ventilation, most of these patients had COPD, right? And they all had a hypercapnic respiratory failure. But I always like to let you all know that the baseline PCO2 of these patients was between 56 to approximately 74. And their pH was between 7.26 to 7.4 meaning that these are not the sickest of the sick patients. So don't try to go ahead and put somebody with a pH of 6.9 and a PCO2 of 640. Just kidding, you know, like a PCO2 of let's say 90, for example, and not a chronic CO2 retainer. Don't try to put these patients on nasal high flow. It's just not going to go well for them. Just look at what they've done in other studies that have shown success. Use a pH between 7.25 to 7.4, as indicated here, and your patient's going to have better success. But all in all, you know, a lot of folks are still uncomfortable with using high flow nasal cannula for COPD exacerbations and hypercapnic respiratory failure. But you have to consider the fact that 
with the amount of flow that these patients are receiving. It's going to wash out their dead space. It's going to decrease their work of breathing. It's going to decrease the production of additional CO2. And the patients are going to rebreathe in less of their own CO2. So keep those things in, in, in mind as they're part of the mechanism of action of how this could pot potentially work in patients with COPD. Now, of course, everything I've said here is just me skimming through the article and providing it to you in a way that hopefully is going to be beneficial for your management of patients. But as I mentioned before, this article is free for you to download and check it out in the show notes and download it and read it for yourself. As always, I greatly appreciate your support. If you're listening to this on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave me a five-star review as it definitely helps the podcast reach new audiences. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye.